When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 66, and we are recording on January 31st. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Howdy doody. Happy Tuesday. Woohoo. It's snowing here a little bit, a little bit. Oh, it snowed yesterday, like totally unexpectedly. Like I walked out of uh, Target where I was off to get (laughs) cold medicine because I was super sick yesterday, and I walked out into like a random unexpected blizzard that lasted like 30 seconds. It was very oh, magical. Whoa. 30 seconds. People were very confused. <laughs> like everyone was just standing in the parking lot looking at the sky like the end had come. <laughs> it was kind of a great moment. That is great. It's like a sun shower, but it's, it's like yeah. a surprise blizzard. Awesome. Yeah, Virginians are not used to that. No. Like we prepare for snow for like weeks in advance. So for it to just happen, we're all like, wait, should I go back into Target and get milk? Is right. what I'm to be doing that? How many batteries should I buy? I Do I need firewood? I don't know. I'm not ready. Oh. Lord. Um, Well, okay. So if you are new to the show, welcome. We are a personalized reading recommendation show, like I said, which means that you send us questions and we answer them. The questions can be anything from what should your book club read next to what should you get your graduating sister for um, her, well, yeah, her graduation. Right. I'm doing super good at examples today. Um, how to fill the hole in your heart when you're done reading Harry Potter, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we will do our best to find the next perfect books for you. You can send those questions to us via email. It's getbooked at bookriot.com. You can put them in the form that's at the bottom of every show notes uh, for the show on the website. Um, and you, if your question is time sensitive, please do make sure to put the date you need the answer by either in the subject line of your email or at the very top of your form so that we will get to it as soon as we can. Um, and if your question has been asked before or you're on a super tight deadline, I might answer it via email. Um, so you know, maybe keep an eye out for emails from getbooktobookriot.com if you've been waiting for a while. Sorry! (laughs) We're Mm -hmm. doing our best. Um, But yeah, so I'm going to read the first question, and then Amanda's going to tell us about our first sponsor, and then we will launch into our recommendations. So our first question is from Ernie K., who says, like many bookish folk, my heart raced a bit when we met the book people in Fahrenheit 451. I also was interested in what the Wikipedia entry calls, quote-unquote, ecologically-minded misfits in Abby's The Monkey Wrench Gang. Not to focus just on fiction, I have just finished Brian Burroughs' Days of Rage about the mid-century underground movements. Can you suggest other titles, fiction and nonfiction, that address clandestine groups that are motivated to create what they believe is a better civilization? Interesting question. Very good, very good. Um, But what's our first sponsor, Amanda? Okay, it's us! Hey! (laughs) Our first sponsor is the BookRite store, where we are having a sale on hoodies and sweatshirts. They are all 25% off, including a brand new one, so we're running this promotion because of this new sweatshirt that we have out, or hoodie, uh, hoodie, excuse me, that says, I wish I could, like, show you a picture, but I can't. It says, I lift hardcovers, and it's got a barbell on it with, like, 
puts on the it's, end instead it's of It's so waist. good. I covet this. I covet it. It is extremely good. Um, but all of our hoodies and sweatshirts are on sale, including the regular Book Riot hoodie, which is super, super comfortable and cozy. And my personal favorite, um, the, which I'm actually, oh God, I'm wearing it right now. <laughs> um, the, my Nancy Drew sweatshirt, which is on my body. Uh, it's like, it's bright blue and it's the cover of I think the first Nancy Drew book, Secret of the Old Clock, like the old-fashioned cover from the 50s. But the best part about it is it has pockets in the front. So I'm, like, eternally stashing stuff. With, oh, there's M&Ms in there right now. <laughs> See? I, I just found surprise candy, you guys. <laughs> anyway, go to store.bookriot.com, and you can get uh, any hoodie or sweatshirt that you want for 25% off. And I have M&Ms now. Oh, my God. So- <laughs> that might that's be great. the best thing. Okay, that's- so I'm just going to keep going. I had a little bit of trouble with this question, uh, admittedly. So I took it to our um, contributors, and Liberty, who all of you know, so I don't need to tell you about, um, recommended Oneida by Ellen Whalen Smith. And the more that I read about this book, the like more fascinated I became with it. So you're probably familiar with Oneida. It's a brand of cutlery, like silverware, that you can buy in like any department store, um, and that it was like a it's like a symbol for middle class prosperity. Anyway. Little did I know that that company actually started as a, a free love commune in the 1800s in upstate New York. Like, what? So it was founded um, by a guy named John Humphrey Noyes, who, in, like, reaction to the Puritanism of early America, so he established this, like, revolutionary community, commune, essentially, in rural New York that was centered around Christianity, sort of, except it was super feminist, like, he was way into equality of the sexes, but he was also way into what he called complex marriage, which was just a system of sleeping with whoever you wanted to, <laughs> including but not limited to your spouse or partner. Um, and so eventually he, he got a, a little more wonky and started espousing eugenics uh, in ways that made a bunch of the members uncomfortable. So the community disbanded in 1880, and what was left of it was converted into a joint stock company that was called the Oneida Community that they eventually became the leading manufacturer of silverware in America, and you probably have some in your house. And isn't that just weird? I don't know. I just find that super weird and fascinating. So obviously they were there, this like clandestine group, doing what they wanted to do to better what they thought of as, as bettering uh, society. And eventually they just started making forks. So there you go. So that's Oneida. The subtitle is From Free Love Utopia to a Well-Set Table, which I think is great, um, by Ellen Whalen Smith, who's actually a descendant of one of the original members of the commune. So go check that out. I think I knew about that only because it gets mentioned in one of the magician's books by Lev Grossman. Like, Julia's writing a paper about this. <laughs> but that's, oh, the, that's the only reason I know about that. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so my first pick for you is an autobiography by Angela Davis. And I picked this because I, you mentioned Days of Rage and the mid-century underground movements. And I thought it might be interesting for you to get, like, a behind-the-scenes from one of the members' views of the Black Panthers. Um, Angela Davis is amazing, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an incredible feminist. She was also, I've been reading this book throughout the past year, like I'm slowly but surely getting through it. And um, she's also like a very committed communist and a feminist. So there's a lot of different political thought going on in this biography, some of which like, well, autobiography, some of which like, you're like, like, I don't know how great Castro actually is, but she, but she goes to Cuba and she writes about it. And like, you know, she's talking about, you know, 
West German, like she was on the ground doing these things. And it, it just offers a perspective that, you know, you're not going to get otherwise. And she's a very good writer. Um, she's very thoughtful. She's very interesting. And, but I also feel like she really captures the um, spirit of the, like, for example, the Black Panther movement, like what it was that had them so committed to their cause that they would go to jail and like risk basically being murdered by the FBI. Um, you know, she really captures the spirit of what was going on. And that seems to be what you're interested in getting at. So I thought it would be a good companion at the very least to Days of Rage. And she's, she's an amazing writer. She's a fascinating person, both historically and like presently um so yes uh that is an autobiography by angela davis okay my second one i picked because you said uh that you really loved for uh, fahrenheit 451 so it's a lexicon by max berry which is a similar kind of um it's not a dystopia but secret society-ish thing happening around books and literature and language um so you're following a, a character named emily who's an orphan living on the streets in san francisco she's a con artist she runs the like three card money game basically um so she's like a low-level con artist and then she so in in doing this she's actually very persuasive and really good at it she catches the attention of this exclusive prep school in virginia um where students aren't taught normal you know art, history, English kind of stuff, um, they're taught how to use language to break people's psyches and manipulate them into doing what they want. And when you graduate from the school, you're called a poet and you take on the name of some great writer, Bronte, Elliot Wolf, whatever. Um, and then you go off and work for this organization, bettering the world in the ways that they think the world needs to be bettered. But as is usually the case with you know, underground secret high-powered organizations, the things that they want for the world are not necessarily that great. Um, and then meanwhile, you're following another guy named Will, who is in an airport, wakes up not knowing anything about how he got there or where he is. He's kidnapped by two men who tell him that he's being pursued by a secret society and that his life is in a bunch of danger. They take him to a little town in Australia where some horrible industrial accident has happened because they think he holds the key to, like, what happened there and why. And then the two narratives converge in this little town, and you find out um, how the two, how Emily and Will are connected or not connected, uh, and there's, like, anything else would be basically a spoiler. Uh, but it's a really interesting book about how the words that, like, it's a very thinly failed metaphor for using uh, language as manipulation, which I think is uh, an apt thing to pay attention to in this current political climate. So that's Lexicon by Max Berry. That was on my potential list too. Um, okay, the <laughs> other pick I have for you is a book we used to sell like hotcakes when I was at the bookstore, and it is The Secret History of the World by Mark Booth. Like, people would either come in looking for it or be like, I want a book on conspiracies, and we would immediately hand them <laughs> this book. <laughs> um, so, basically what Booth is doing is going on sort of a tour of um, the secret history histories of various groups. So, like, if you believe that, you know, history is written by the victors, which is basically true, um, what would history <laughs> look like if it was written by the people who lost? So he goes into, like, different cults and mystery schools and, like, like it's very, like, Illuminati-type stuff um, and, and puts together, like, a history of the world, what that would look like if you used those underground texts as your starting point. So it's a really interesting exercise and also look at all of these like different cults and organizations and societies like what is what is their view of the world like like it's very super interesting if you're into that kind of thing uh which you clearly are <laughs> so <laughs> that is the secret history of the world by mark booth okay question two um 
This is from an anonymous writer who says, I was listening to the Sarah McLean episode of the Reading Lives podcast, and I really identified with her when she discussed feeling naive about Africa. While Googling books to read, I became overwhelmed. Where would you recommend that I start? Okay, so my first one, um, my first pick for you is called Tram 83. It's by Fistan Mwanza Mujila, and it's translated by Roland Glasser. Um, And I picked this one because it takes place in an unnamed African city in an unnamed African country. But the author is from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And, you know, a lot of reviewers have said that the city resembles uh, the city where he grew up in the Congo. uh, Lubumbashi, I think it's called. And so, you know, whatever. Thinly veiled Congolese um, city. Um, But... It's not a, it's, hmm, man, it's like so hard to, to make a synopsis for this book because it's not um, plot centric and it's, it's kind of a difficult read, but in a really fun way because his, his, the way that he writes is based on his love for jazz. So the narration kind of jumps back and forth a little bit like a jazz song. Uh, anyway, so it's about Tram 83, which is this nightclub kind of seedy den of outlaws and prostitutes basically um, in this unnamed city. And you're following a, a guy named Lucian who's a professional writer. He's, finding refuge in this city with his friend whose name is Requiem. He's trying to write a book. He's trying to get away from the censorship of uh, where he's from. um, And he wants to, like, just hide out somewhere and write this book. Requiem, who is now, I guess, his roommate, is a swindler and lives mostly on stealing and breaking the law. Um, And so they go on their various... Like, you just kind of follow them throughout their days on through, like, Requiem's hustles and Lucian trying to write this book. Um, And then at night, they go to this nightclub and they're the characters through which you observe all these other secondary characters who are representative of, like, the way that the West has come into these countries and destroyed them, basically. Um, so I picked this because since it's an unnamed African country and city um, and is mostly just about how the West has come into a lot of these places looking for mineral wealth and exploited uh, the people who live there and the natural resources and plunged everyone into desperate poverty... Um, you don't have to have like a, a really big historical background uh, of any of those sort of concepts or any particular African country to understand what's happening in this book. And it's a nice, ba- like you could read this and then you could go read a history of the Congo and have sort of kind of an idea of what they're talking about, I think. So, so that's Tram 83 by Fiston Mwanza Mujila. My first pick for you is a memoir. It's called Mighty Be Our Powers, How Sisterhood, Prayer, and Sex Changed a Nation at War, and it's by Lema Gaboi. Um, and this memoir is amazing. So Lema is a Peace Prize winner, right? Nobel Peace Prize? Yes. Um, and she was one of the organizers who helped create a mass action in Liberia um, that then like helped get a peace deal on the table. So Liberia underwent a really awful, terrible civil war. Um, and Gaboi grew up, you know, pretty, like, she had a good life um, up until all of the fighting started. And then her, like, her family was dispersed. Um, she, uh, like, underwent, they underwent crazy, terrible things. Um, she, as a young woman, she became involved with a man who she then had children with, and it was an abusive relationship. Um, and she, you know, her education was interrupted, and uh, she underwent these crazy personal struggles. Um, and she's talking very frankly about them in the 
book in the context of what was going on with her country in general and, like, the other people she met and what their stories were. And out of all of that, like, she managed to go back and get an education and um, become part of a conflict resolution team and then become an organizer and an activist and, you know, helped make huge change in her country just through the power of women, like, banding together to fight for each other. Um, And not even, like, to physically fight. Like, they sat in a field for, like... Weeks, months? I don't know exactly how long it was, but they literally sat in a field with signs until, you know, Charles Taylor signed a peace agreement. Um, it's it's really inspiring and fascinating. And I think what was so interesting about this book is that, like, if this had been written by a Western person, there would have been a lot of, like, explicit talk about feminism. But I don't think the u- word got used even once. Like, she's she's just, from her perspective, she's just talking about women being left out of both politics and decision-making, like, on the home front and the government, all of these things, and, like, being... And also women and children being the victims of horrible things during wartime, which is obviously correct. Um, And, like, why don't we have a voice? And so her whole goal was to make a voice, which is obviously very feminist, but, like, she's not talking about it from that perspective. She's just talking about it from, like, an on-the-ground, like realization that women have power and should use it. Um, and it's it's just a very different sort of phrasing, which I found very uh, interesting. And um, I don't know, it was just a really cool reading experience. I, I loved this book. Uh, she's a little bit controversial. She talks about it in the book, like how some of the other people in the organization and she had, you know, falling outs and all of that stuff. So it's very interesting to see this sort of behind the scenes look at a really major moment in um, African history and African modern history. So that is Mighty Be Our Powers by Lema Gaboi. Okay, my second pick for you is Homegoing by Ya Jesse, which I am in the middle of because I finally so got good. it. Yes, it's amazing, <laughs> and I waited on my library hold list for this book for like since it came out. Yeah, so when yeah. it. Like, yeah, it came out in June, and I have been waiting since June (laughs) to get this book, and I finally got it, and I immediately started it, it's really exciting. Okay, so this took place in Ghana, and it starts in the 18th century, um, and you're following two half-sisters. So, Afia is born in a village, she is married off to a British slaver, and she goes to live in the Cape Coast Castle, which is where the British guys uh, who were there doing the slave trade, um, live. And so she lives in this, like, palatial room, and her husband treats her very nicely, and, you know, her life is not what she imagined it would be, but it's not, like, super terrible. Her half-sister, Essie, is underneath her in the castle's dungeon, unbeknownst to her. Like, they don't know about each other. And she is uh, sold off into slavery and shipped to America. And so you follow the generations of the descendants of these two women up through, like, now. <laughs> like, uh, Essie's uh, children and grandchildren, are they're raised in slavery, and then, um, you know, so you're, like, in America in the, plantation of, in, in the plantations in the south, and then there's, like, the Great Migration, and you've, you end up in, like, Harlem. It's, like, it's all over the place. Um, but, like, the, the, oh, it's so heartbreaking. I'm, like, having a hard time not just, like, wailing with emotional... <laughs> enthusiasm about this book. But anyway, the reason that I picked it isn't just because it happens to take place in Africa, but because you're following uh, two family lines. Um, I think it's helpful for somebody who doesn't know a lot about maybe the history of slavery or especially the history of slavery and its impact on African countries, not just on American history. But so if you're a Westerner without a lot of um, 
maybe historical knowledge of that time period or even like the details or the ins and outs of exactly what that looked like to people who are experiencing it. I think reading a novel about it is a nice way to kind of, I don't know, like that's how we learn empathy, right? So um, I don't know. I, I think that would be a, a helpful place to start. So that's Homegoing by Yaa Jesse. Yeah, that book is amazing. Um, <laughs> so good. Again. <laughs> okay, so my second pick for you is another nonfiction. Uh, it's a very well-written history. It's called King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hochschild. Uh, this book is great um, because it, well, so Amanda mentioned the Congo earlier. Um, the Congo was the site of one of the biggest human rights atrocities, like, of ever, uh, perpetrated by King Leopold II of Belgium, who seized a bunch of the territory surrounding the Congo River and then, like, proceeded to commit genocide in the name of rubber, uh, which is just, you know, great. Um, and what Hoxchild does in this book is he looks at Leopold, but he also looks at the people who, uh, you know, formulated the, the, human rights organizations that fought this. Um, and so there's, you know, missionaries and travelers and, you know, Mark Twain and the Archbishop of Canterbury and, like, all of, you know, shipping agents. Like, it's all of these different people who became aware of what was going on and determined to stop it. So it's, you know, how it happened and then who was involved in the fight against it, which I think is a nice... Um, and it goes, like, person by person, so it's a nice... Uh, you know, it's not just, like, the big historical points. You get an idea of, like, the actual people involved, which I always find really helpful when I'm trying to learn about a place. Um, I like to have personal stories, because then you kind of remember the people a little bit better and, you know, forget dates, but you can kind of get the the picture of what was going on and who was involved. Um, and there's also a documentary movie of, of, made out of this, too, so that might be, like, a nice pairing. I mean, it's a horrible story. Like, it's not a pleasant thing to read about, but I do think it's an important moment in African history. History and um, in the continent, um, and then obviously specifically in the Congo, and so uh, worth learning about. So that's King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hochschild. Okay, next question is from Eva. As I sat down to plan for the 2017 Read Harder Challenge, I came across a curious problem. Uh, I, let's see, <laughs> I'm sorry, there's just like this funny aside that's not going to make sense if I read it out loud. Okay, so Eva wants, <laughs> to, read about, like <laughs> yeah, Eva wants to read about basketball, but not the NBA. Um, any, so looking for anything, fiction or nonfiction, I'm not picky on the non-NBA basketball related genre. All right, so Amanda, you talk for a minute. Okay, so she's asked, she's talking about the first task in the Read Harder Challenge, which is read a sports book, uh, basically. Okay, and so both of mine are, well, one of them's middle grade, one of them is YA. Um, the first one is The Crossover by Kwame Alexander. This is a middle grade book written in verse, and it's so much fun. So if, I don't remember if there's a poetry task uh, this year, but if there is, there, then you can fulfill that There is, but one. it's also. translated not about love, so... Oh, yeah, okay. Little. Well, it's not about love, no. but it's not a translation either, so that won't work. Um, anyway, so it's written in verse from the point of view of a 12-year-old boy named Josh Bell, and his, it's like slam almost, like you're reading a slam poem, which is, which is way different than like reading, I don't know, like a, a poem written for paper. It, uh, it's just amazing. So Josh is a twin, him and his brother Jordan. They're both like basketball stars. Like they're, they're, uh, their father was a basketball Olympian, their mom is a, a principal or an assistant principal, I don't remember which. Um, and so 
as most middle grade books are, you're like following these two boys as they kind of come of age and learn what they want as they're becoming adults and that sort of thing. Um, but then Jordan, Josh's twin, gets a girlfriend and like stops hanging out with him as much and isn't necessarily as concerned with basketball as he used to be. And Josh has a lot of feelings about that, which I like. My my boys are five. I have twin boys and they're they're five years old. And I like dread the day when one of them like doesn't want to hang out with the other one anymore because <laughs> I know that it's going to be just like hard. So this like hit me right in my feels, you know, Um, but it's just a really fun read. And there's um, there's a big like explosive kind of climactic event that I'm not going to tell you about um, that changes like the whole course of their family. And anyway, I'm not going to get into it because it's definitely a spoiler. Uh, But the the um, the verse, it's super fast to to read if, if you're looking for something to get through kind of quick, because not just because it's middle grade, but since it's written in verses, just a real page turner, you could probably read it in an hour or two. Um, and it's just like, oh, it's just fun. It's fun. So that's The Crossover by Kwame Alexander. All right. I know exactly zero about books about the NBA <laughs> or not the NBA for that matter. So I took this to our contributors and um, Rachel Manuel, who wrote the Read Harder Challenge, bless her, um, had a suggestion that looked really interesting to me. So it's Indentured the Rebellion Against the College Sports Cartel by Joe Nocera and Ben Strauss. And um, so it's about the NCAA and how they basically have prevented athletes, college athletes, from receiving any money while everybody else gets rich, uh, which, you know, that sounds great. Um, so, so the athletes like sign up, you know, for these colleges and, you know, I guess they get scholarships and whatever, but they can't earn anything. And then they just like everybody else involved makes a ton of money. So in 2000, three economists decided to like really get into this and lay the and they laid the groundwork for a lawsuit um and at the same time a former ucla football player started an organization to help represent college athletes so it's it's about like how this situation came to be and then how um people are working to change it and to like get college athletes the the basically you know paid for their labor. (laughs) Like, it's a labor (laughs) issue at the face of it. Um, So this looks really interesting to me. I definitely am tempted to pick it up despite my otherwise total lack of interest in reading about basketball. Uh, So I thought you might like it. So that's Indentured, The Rebellion Against the College Sports Cartel by Joe Nocera and Ben Strauss. Okay, so my second one is Young Adult. It's called Hoops. It's by Walter Dean Myers. And this is... um probably older teens or you, an adult, the person who was asking the question. Um, but so the main uh, character is a 17 years old. His name is Lonnie. He's from Harlem and he is uh, on a basketball team that's playing in a citywide basketball tournament, uh, the Tournament of Champions. And the point here is that they're playing in front of a bunch of college uh, scouts. Um, that So it's like their chance to be scouted when they haven't had a chance up to that point. And so the coach of this team, his name is Cal, realizes that Lonnie's like super talented and can probably make it through college basketball and probably into the NBA. Um, and he knows this because he was also once on that track, but then he made a really dumb and unethical decision that um, ruined his career. And so as the tournament gets closer and closer, Lonnie finds out this thing about his coach, who he's since become really close to, and uh, also finds out that some gambling people, some betters, are trying to convince Cal to put Lonnie on the bench so that the team will lose, so that they can, you know, win a lot of money. So the two of them have to make this decision. Are they ready? Are they going to blow this chance for Lonnie to make it and to get out of Harlem and uh, in order to, like, you know, get get some money now, 
or not. So it's a lot about, uh, you know, these decisions that we make to be successful. Um, and so the basketball is obviously, like, it's not about basketball. It's about these two people, like, making a decision, but the basketball is there. So I think it would totally count. So that's Hoops by Walter Dean Myers. And before we move on, I wanted, I, I wanted to shout out this uh, one book that is about the NBA, and I'm sorry, but if you ever decide that you, you want to, like, you're cool with reading a book about the NBA. The Whore of Akron by Scott Rabb is really, really fascinating. It's about LeBron James and his, like, um, how he brought Cleveland out of, like, a 50-year drought of having no championship team, and it's really interesting anyway. So that's that. The Whore of Akron. It's awesome. <laughs> it's quite a title. Um, Thank you. Okay. So <laughs> I did title it myself. <laughs> oh, obviously. Um, my second pick for you was recommended by Jess Pride, and I am actually super excited about this one. It's called Dust Bowl Girls, the inspiring story of the team that barnstormed its way to basketball glory by Lydia Reader. And from what I can tell from the description, it is basically a league of their own but basketball. And A League of Their Own is one of my favorite <laughs> movies of all time, um, despite its problems. I love it so much. Uh, so I am definitely going to be picking this up. So apparently the story goes like this. During the Great Depression, there was this basketball coach of like a tiny Presbyterian college in Oklahoma, and he was trying to figure out like how to bring hope to people. And so he started going around to the different farms and were recruiting young women and said, like, okay, if you will come play basketball for my college, like you can have a free college education. So the team was called the Cardinals, and like they they so he he put the team together and then they won every game apparently they won every game um and then got to the point where they had a showdown with like the prevailing national champions in basketball so this is just i like i need to read this book immediately obviously um you don't hear a lot about like depression era sports like that's not what that's a thing that's a thing of course it's a thing um but it's not a thing i'd ever thought about before so i think this book looks super fascinating i'm excited to read it and it just came out it's brand new um so that is Dust Bowl Girls by Lydia Reader. Okay, question four. <clears throat> this is from Rachel. She says, my grandmother's birthday is coming up, and I wanted to see if you could think of some book recs for her. She used to read a lot when she was younger, but it's been difficult for her. She's become mostly blind. I set her up with an Amazon Echo, and now she listens to my books on Audible and loves it. If you can recommend any good audiobooks that you might find interesting, that would be great. She's listened to Game of Thrones and the Outlander series and really enjoyed those. She obviously likes long series, so anything with multiple books and or many hours on audio would probably appeal to her. I don't think she would be into science fiction, but some fantasy seems a safe bet. She also did mention that she would like something steamy. I okay. love this question. <laughs> I want to hang out with her. I know. Best grandma. <laughs> okay, so my first pick for you is The Rainwild Chronicles by Robin Hobb. There are four books in this series, but it's actually tied to another series um, that Robin Hobb wrote called The Live Ship Traders, which is a trilogy. So there's actually like seven books you could get into if if you really uh, wanted to. So the first book in the Rainwild Chronicles is called The Dragon Keeper, and it's about this um, area called the Rainwild, where um, the people have to like live in the trees because they live, they live next to a river that's so polluted and disgusting and toxic that um, it's super dangerous and gross. And so it like uh, destroys ships, it destroys skin, it off gases like you just can't be anywhere near it um and also living in this area are dragons that the people of these cities like are kind of taken care of but i like the people who live next to the river the the dragons who live next to the river have hatched they're weak they're deformed um if they're not taken care of by people they either die or rampage so it's kind of decided the people decide that they have to be moved farther up river um back toward where like the dragons ancestrally come from so a group of people gets together to 
transport them. And as on their way, you know, shenanigans and adventures ensue. It's low-key about, like, super fun sites with dragons. <laughs> so if your grandmother is at all into, like, any sort of environmentalism or... Um, that sort of thing, then that will probably scratch that itch. So that's The Rainwild Chronicles by Robin Hobb. You know, I have read those and I never made that connection. Yeah, but you're, yeah. yeah, you're super correct. That's... It's definitely about, like, it is. toxic it's industrial environmentalism <laughs> with dragons. What? Yeah. Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, so my recommendation for your grandma is, and for everyone who likes steamy fantasy, is The Inheritance Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. The first book is The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. This series is so great. So it's about a world that has been ruled by this one, like, family for a good long time. And the reason they're in charge is because they have found a way to control the actual gods, um, one or two in particular, who wield, you know, crazy powers, because they're gods, um, and therefore they win all these battles. And so the world has kind of been wrecked by this, um, but everything's super great for the family in charge, except for that they're all, like, poisonous political people. Uh, you will recognize this from Game of Thrones. Um... And so where the story starts off in 100,000 Kingdoms is with a young woman named Yaina who has grown out sort of on the outskirts. She's not part of, like, the main, you know, quote-unquote civilization area. Um, but it turns out that she is, like, a, a once-removed heir to the throne, and the current ruler is dying and, like, wants to, you know, mess some stuff up with his heirs. Um, basically wants them to, like, battle it out to prove who's going to be in charge next. And so she gets pulled into this crazy political situation that she's really not prepared to deal with, like, like she's a strong woman, she's been trained as a warrior, but she hasn't been trained in, like, political intricacies. So she's dumped into this, you know, it's like a religious thing, because there's gods involved, but it's magic, but also it's politics, it's very complicated. Um, and the next two books kind of you get a little bit of back history, and then you move forward a little bit as well. I love this series. I love it so much. Um, there's three books, and then, like, a couple short novellas, and um, the books are pretty long, so I think this should take up a nice chunk of time. Um, and then your grandmother can explore the rest of N.K. Jemisin, which is also excellent. So that is the Inheritance Trilogy, um, starting with The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. Okay, my second uh, series is the is Gentlemen Bastards by Scott Lynch. The first one is called The Lies of La Clamora. Uh, I think there are four books in this series that are out now, but there are seven planned, or at least there are seven on Goodreads that have titles. So uh, I'm assuming that means that there are seven that he's eventually going to write. But there are four now, so by the time you get through those, you should be fine. Um, so the first one, The Lies of La Clamora, is like, it's like Ocean's Eleven, but, but in Venice in the 15th century in space which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. So Lac Lamora is an orphan who survives in this island city called Camor, which is, you know, Venice, um, which is built on like the ruins of an alien race that has long since disappeared. He's a great thief and a quick wit, and he's survived on his own in a very like Dickensian fashion through like pickpocketing and stuff like that. Um, and then he falls into the hands of this priest, this blind priest whose name is Chains, who it turns out is neither blind nor a priest, but uses his blindness and his priesthood as a way of raising a family of carefully like handpicked orphans who he uh, tutors in con artistry. And so they grow up, they become the gentleman bastards. They're this really close, uh, tight-knit group of friends who um, go off robbing the nobles of Comor, who are almost to a man 
in like a Robin Hood-esque way, really totally worth robbing. Like they're kind of garbage people. Um, but they survive by passing themselves off as just like petty thieves who are kind of annoying. No one knows the identity of this this like group of men who are the thorn in the side of the rich people of this city. And so while all this is happening, um, a villain enters who's called the Grey King, who is slowly killing everyone in the underworld and all of the allies of the Gentleman Bastards. And he's using Locke as like a pawn to get control of... Um, the crime syndicates or whatever. And so Locke has to go out and defeat him or die trying and figure out like what's happening. The caveat this, to this book that I will say is that it's not steamy because there are literally zero women in it, which bothers me, but it's a lot of fun. And I, it's, you know, I give it a pass cause it's a lot of fun. Cause it's, cause it's ocean's 11 in space. Like uh, it's just great. So it's the lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. All right. Um, yes. Oh, I should have mentioned. Inheritance really has a bunch of sex in it. And it's like sex <laughs> with gods. So it gets really interesting. <laughs> okay, so my second pick for Grandma is uh, The Mists of Avalon, which there are actually four books in the series. A lot of people, I think, have read the first one and perhaps missed that there are more. Um, so there are. There are four books in the series. They are all long. Um, I think The Mists of Avalon, yeah, it's like 900 pages. And then High Queen, which is the second one is also long. I can't remember how long. It doesn't say. Okay, anyway, point is that this is the Arthurian legend, but from the female perspective. Um, I read this in my teen years, and it felt like the most feminist thing ever. And, like, now that I am a grown-up and have experienced more widely in that area, like, I'm like, well, maybe not so much. But it is a really, like, I think it was a really powerful um, when they came out in the 80s uh, to be telling this sort of very manly story about a king who pulled a sword from a stone from the perspective of the women uh, who were involved in the story. So it's really, it's really steamy. There is a lot of things that happen. Um, there's like <laughs> in caves in certain instances. I mean, I have like very vivid memories. Uh, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but I think that what Marion Zimmer Bradley did so well, she's also, she's a very prolific writer. Like she wrote a ton of fantasy, but I really enjoyed this because it, she plays around with the characters. So like you think you know who like Morgana is, but she's got a different perspective. And like you think you know who Guinevere is, but she's got a different perspective. She plays with it a lot. So it's not just like the standard cookie cutter story of King Arthur. It's a much more complicated and interesting viewpoint, I think. So that is the Miss of Avalon series. Well, it's the Avalon series, and the first one is the Miss of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. Okay. Oh, it's me. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Right. So speaking of science fiction and fantasy, what a perfect segue. Uh, You may have become aware, or you may not, that we have a bunch of new genre-focused literature, uh, newsletters, excuse me, one of which is the Swords and Spaceships newsletter, which I write, and it's about science fiction and fantasy, as you might have guessed, uh, which is my favorite. And um, so you should sign up for it, but you should particularly sign up for it because we're going to do a big mailbag giveaway next Monday uh, that is going to have all kinds of lovely sci-fi fantasy books in it for your reading pleasure. So keep an eye out for that. That post will go up on the site next Monday. Um, And in the meantime, you can... If you just want to sign up for it, which we do not, you know, that's fine, too. Um, You can go to the Book Riot site and click on the newsletter page and scroll down to Swords and Spaceships. I promise it's good. I read it. It's good. I think it's, at least I think it's pretty good. Um, Okay, our next question is from Virginia, who says, I'm a bisexual woman and I'm in the process of coming out. 
My closest friends know, but I have yet to tell my mother, who doesn't believe in bisexuality, or her homophobic family members. My dad has been very supportive. Anyway, I'm looking for some books about bisexual or lesbian characters. I've read Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit and Fell in Love. I tried reading some Sarah Waters, but it didn't hook me. The book doesn't necessarily have to be about coming out. I'm more interested in simply finding compelling books about bisexual or lesbian women. I would be interested in reading something like Jeanette Winterson that focuses on gay people and religious families. My mother's family are extremely religious evangelists. They already think I'm a demon because I'm an atheist, so I'm very excited for them to find out I'm gay, too. <laughs> Can you guys help me out? Oh, man. Yeah. Boy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, We definitely have books. Go ahead, Amanda. Okay. All right. Um, So my first one is, it's a YA novel. It's called The Miseducation of Cameron Post. It's by Emily Danforth. Emily M. Danforth. Um, It takes place in the 80s in, ooh, Montana? Wyoming. I mixed them up. I think it's Montana. Okay. It takes place in the 80s in Montana, and the main character's name is Cameron, obviously. Um, She is growing up with her parents. She's very happy. Her parents have... um, gone off on like a vacation and while they're gone she has had her first kiss with a girl and realizes um that it needs to be kept a secret because she like just kind of instinctually knows that it won't be an acceptable thing in you know her small town in in 1980s montana um and while she's like grappling with this her parents die in a car crash so she's forced to move in with her grandmother who's like has good intentions but is super old-fashioned and her aunt who is an evangelical conservative crazy person um she realizes that cam realizes that like kind of blending in and keeping this part of herself quiet is the best way to survive and then maybe she can get out later um so she she does that but then you know a new girl moves to town named coley who is beautiful and kind of a cowgirl and has a very cute footloose style kind of boyfriend um cam and coley become best friends and their friendship seems to blossom into something else and then as that starts to happen her aunt sends her to a pray away the gay camp and cameron has to decide what she's going to do with herself in that situation so i think it would speak a lot to um your exact situation and it's been banned um a lot (laughs) in a lot of schools for obvious reasons um which makes me want to make everyone read it (laughs) more because of that and it's so like the voice is so amazing she writes in this kind of almost like it's a very rhythmic kind of stream of consciousness like cameron's thoughts have this this like a lulling kind of rhythm to them so um you'll find yourself turning pages just super fast because of of the voice that it's written and it's just really well done so it's the miseducation of cameron post by emily m danforth all right my first book for you also i found one that has that religious aspect to it um it is under the udala trees by chanello okparanta and It is about a young girl named Ijeoma who is 11 when civil war breaks out in Nigeria. Um, And so her parents send her away to live with another couple, like in a sort of safe area, what they hope is a safe area. She meets another girl and they fall in love. Um, And they're so not only are they're both girls, they're from different ethnic communities and they're falling in love. And Nigeria is very like has actual laws on the book. Uh, that are super homophobic. So, and her, this, E.J. Oma's mother is highly religious. So everything 
goes terribly <laughs> for her. Um, and so, it, so yeah, so it's a book not only about, like, this civil war in the country, but also a young woman trying to figure out, like, who she is in the context of her country, her family, um, her first love. It's really intense and beautifully written. Um, this book, like, it came out, I want to say, yeah, 2015, um, so last year, and it was one of the, like, books that got handed around. I, I think it's definitely worth reading. So that is Under the Udala Trees by Tonello Okparanta. Okay, my second one is one that you've heard us mention before <laughs> because it's so good. It's The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. Yes. Um, I know, I love it so much. Uh, I love this book. So it's about it's a memoir about um, Tara's life growing up in uh, Queens. Um, she's a fifth generation New Yorker. Her So her childhood was kind of bonkers. Her family, uh, her parents got divorced when she was young, so she lives with her father, who lives in, like, this tiny converted boat shed in a working-class neighborhood in, Cle- in Queens. And then she splits her time between that and her her grandparents, who are Italians and um, live in, like, a community of geriatric neighbors. And her grandmother is amazing. Um, and then also, she splits her time with her mom, who um, is dating this, like, bizarrely wealthy man and has a house in the Hamptons so she she bounces back and forth between working class kind of poverty in Queens and like this <laughs> giant castle in the Hamptons um she is a lesbian and but she doesn't like it's about her childhood so that doesn't come up like even at all until maybe the last third of the book um but her father her mother her mother's response I think is like I told you so kind of a thing. And her father is not as supportive and has some problems with it, but he eventually kind of comes around. Um, so I don't know. It's it's just funny. Like, it's hilarious the way that she handles both that and every other aspect of her childhood um, is really great. It's not... The book is not about coming out. Like, it's not about being a lesbian in Queens or being a lesbian in the Catholic family or any of that kind of thing. It's about growing up working class in this strange situation Um in Queens, and she wrote the book because there are there's so little literature written by or about women of the working class. Like the last one you could probably think of is a tree grows in Brooklyn, right? Um, and I really recommend that you get this one on audio because she reads the audio book and she's got a really great Queens accent. It's a lot like Penny Marshall telling you a bunch of jokes and doing impressions <laughs> of her grandmother for like seven hours or whatever. Um, so it's excellent. <laughs> I laugh out loud funny kind of thing. So that's The Clancy's of Queens by Tara Clancy. Alright, my next pick for you is a novella. It is part of the Canongate Myth series, which I'm super excited about because I'm a nerd. Um, and it is called <laughs> it's called Girl Meets Boy. It's by Ali Smith. Um, and what Smith is doing here is remixing Ovid, because you know, yes. Um, and it's about two sisters who are um uh, They live in England, and one of them is, like, an idealist who, you know, just kind of hates her job. She's working for a local PR firm. And then the other one is, like, a very pragmatic uh, woman who works in the same firm, um, which is, like, currently trying to market, like, overpriced bottled water. Um, And so uh, what happens is there's a protest, and Anthea, who is the idealist who hates her job, falls in love with a protester who she thinks is a boy, but is actually a woman. Like, she's just, it's a very masculine woman, and so and then you know things unravel from there um and so it's very much about like 
our perception of gender and how fluid gender actually is. And then it's about sisters and then it's about um, environmentalism also. Surprise theme. <laughs> Water <laughs> rights. Like, who knew? Um, and so, and Ali Smith is just an amazing writer. Um, and so I think this definitely will fit into what you're looking for and also is just like a great story and a great series. So, I mean, who doesn't love a retelling of Ovid? Come on. Come on. <laughs> uh, so that's Girl Meets Boy by Ali Smith. Okay, question six. This is from Logan, who says, I was hoping you could recommend some books, fiction or nonfiction, that talk about the Israel-Palestine conflict. I'm looking for different perspectives, so something that looks at it from a Western viewpoint would be great, but I also want to read something from a local viewpoint. Um, if you'd be willing to answer a second recommendation with loose ties to the first, I've started listening to an economic-based podcast, and I'd love some books to go with those, specifically books about the changes in economics since the beginning of the U.S. involvement in the Middle East. Okay, I subconsciously ignored the second part of that same, question. Same. <laughs> Sorry, but same. Sorry. I got so, like, fixated on finding stuff for the first yeah. one about Israel and Palestine that I totally neglected the second one. So sorry. Sorry about that. Um, but we're going to help you with the first one. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you go ahead. Jen. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. So my first pick for you is a, a graphic memoir about a birthright trip. Um, it is How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less by Sarah Glidden, uh, who recently wrote a book about Syria. Actually, what was that book called? Rolling Blackouts, um, which was very interesting. Anyway, okay, side, sorry, sorry. So so Sarah Glidden is uh, like a Western progressive feminist woman, a uh, young woman, who doesn't even really want to go on the birthright trip, but she, like, decides to go anyway. Um, and she reads up ahead of time, and she, like, develops all of these thoughts about, like, what she's expecting to find and, like, what she thinks is the real story. And then, obviously, like, she is confronted with things that both confirm and disrupt what she believes she knows about Israel. So it's not so much um, an actual explanation or, like, untangling of the Israel-Palestine situation. It's really more about one person trying to come to, in their own minds to an understanding of the situation, which is, you know, it's really hard and complicated, and she has a lot of conflicting feelings because she is Jewish, but she's also got a different perspective on it, and so it's very... Um, it's very much like a self-reflective, like one person's trying to understand what it means to her to go to Israel and to see what the situation is and decide what she believes about it. So I thought it might be interesting. I, I found it a very interesting book. Um, and, you know, graphic memoirs are great uh, because, you know, the pictures are so evocative. Um, she does a good job of sort of, you know, giving you that setting uh, with her art. So that is How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less by Sarah Glidden. Okay, my first pick is our har oh, excuse me. Ooh, Nelson. Okay, it's our <laughs> harsh logic. Our harsh logic. Israeli soldiers' testimonies from the occupied territories. And this is put together by a group called Breaking the Silence, um, which is an organization of veterans of the Israel Defense Force, the IDF, who um when they were in the armed forces, their jobs were to work in the occupied territories. Um, so they have are they are coming out and speaking about that experience, about what it's like to be an occupied force. Um, and I actually, I, when I was in Israel last year, I went into the West Bank, into Palestine, with people from Breaking the Silence to uh, hear their stories, some of their stories, and uh, to kind of like walk around Hebron with people who served in the IDF in Hebron and hear what that was like for them. So it was really, really fascinating um, and illuminating. And I went there with like zero 
knowledge. I mean, like, base, you know, like, I know what's going on in Israel and Palestine, but, like, I didn't, ha- I didn't know enough to have an opinion. I didn't know enough um, about, like, either side to, to, I don't know, like, it's so far away, you know? So um, that was really eye-opening for me. And if you want to look into that organization, I do recommend it. Um, Michael Shaben and his wife, Eilat Waldman, do a lot of work with them. Anyway, so the book... Um, is just it's kind it's like enraging and heartbreaking because you know they're told when they when they join or when they're forced to join um the defense force that they're going to go there protect to protect Israel from terror but then when they get there they discover that their actual jobs are not protecting Israel from terror but protecting the people who have illegally colonized parts of Palestine from the Palestinians who are trying to defend themselves and so um a lot of the people a lot of the veterans who come out of their time there come out feeling like that was a horrible and wrong thing to do. And um, so they get into breaking the silence and talk about their experiences at large personal risk to themselves. Um, So that's Our Harsh Logic, Israeli Soldiers' Testimonies from the Occupied Territories, uh, and it's by Breaking the Silence. I have my second pick for you. I've literally read one book about Israel, and it was How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less. So I like it's it's sad how ignorant I am on this issue. Um, But I so I went to the contributors and I asked around and Michelle Ann Shingler recommended My Promised Land by Ari Shavit. So this is a Western. I mean. Well, okay. Ari Shavit is an Israeli journalist. Um, and so he is, but what he's trying to do, he's a moderate. And so what he's trying to do is look at the people, uh, like sort of a micro history viewpoint of Israel. So instead of giving like the big sweeping, you know, dates and wars and massacres and whatnot, um, he is trying to look at the pioneers and the immigrants and the scientists and the generals and the peaceniks and, you know, all of these people who are involved. I know, literally, that's a word that gets used in this. And I was like, oh, I just, I love that word. That's kind of a great. Like I haven't heard. I haven't read that word since I was read, reading about the sixties. Like that's that's. I want to be a peacenik. I know. I know. Well, you'd be a terrible peacenik. Let's I be would, real. I you're I'm very aggressive. You're not so peaceful. No. Um, in any case. So, uh, so right. So he's like basically giving you these micro histories of like. You know, the farmer who bought, you know, the land in uh, from his Arab neighbor in the 1920s and started the Jaffa Orange boom, um, and an engineer who was involved in the nuclear program, and then the religious Zionists. And so, uh, so you know, opinions about this book from the research that I did are very divided, um, because he is a moderate, so he's not, like, you know, super committed to one side or the other, which if you are super committed to the one side or the other, you're going to take issue with. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, came recommended, looks very interesting. Interesting. I think always learning about the people who were part of these histories is fascinating. So that is My Promised Land by Ari Shabit. <clears throat> okay. Uh, my second pick for you is Born Palestinian, Born Black by Suher Hamad, who is actually an American um, poet. Well, she's American now. Um, poet who I discovered on Deaf Poetry Slam or Deaf Poetry Jam. I don't remember the name of it. Do you remember that show? It's not still on, right? It was on HBO. Yeah. And it was just... And it was, like, so great. You should go look her up. Her YouTube videos of her slam poetry is really great. Um, Anyway, so her parents are from Jordan. They were Palestinian refugees. And they brought her to New York and raised her in Brooklyn when she was five. And then they moved to, like, Staten Island. So she she grew up, um, like, really influenced by the hip-hop scene in, like, the 80s in Brooklyn. And so her poetry is a really fascinating combination of that and talking about 
being a Palestinian refugee. Like, the combination of hip-hop and that is, like, it makes for a really interesting poetic read. And I picked this one specifically because she, since she grew up here, um, she's got a Western viewpoint, but also a local viewpoint. Um, so it's a combination of the things that you were asking for that I think would be nice. And so if you're not into, like, reading poetry so much, uh, you can watch her <laughs> do performances of her poetry on YouTube uh, for Deaf Poetry Jam. Um, so that's uh, Born Palestinian, Born Black, excuse me, by Su- uh, Suher Hamad. And that's our show. Woo! All right. Every time we do it under an hour, I'm so proud. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine-tuning. We're fine-tuning. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please do rate us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, it helps other people find the show, and we always love to hear what you think. Uh, you can also find us on social media. I'm Jen IRL on Twitter. That's Jen with two N's, IRL. And Amanda's I'm Amanda Nelson. Uh, thank you so much to us for being our sponsors of today's show. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Check out the store sale uh, on hoodies and uh, sweatshirts, excellent hoodies and sweatshirts, store.bookriot.com, and then keep an eye out for the mailbag giveaway for Swords and Spaceships, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.